At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hi, everybody. Ron Spomer here with Ron Spomer Outdoors podcast number 13. And this one is called Bulls of the Seven Devils. This was in the American Hunter magazine published in January of 1997. But I think the hunt was conducted in the early 1990s. That often happened uh, with these outdoor stories. You would dredge up stories from the past or come up with anecdotes from many, many years earlier, whatever applied, whatever the editors needed, whatever made for an interesting story. But I think this, if I remember correctly, is a straight up adventure story about this really wonderful elk hunt I did in western Idaho in a wilderness area within the Seven Devils Mountain Range. Yeah, the name itself makes it sound pretty exciting. So let's just read it and see what happened to me back then. Bulls of the Seven Devils by Ron Spomer. It's always nice to hear a bull elk bugle when you're hunting him, especially late in the season when you don't deserve it. Idaho's September archery bugle season and a week of the general rifle season had already come and gone when my bull tooted a happy tune from less than a hundred yards away. Sit, Darwin Van Der Esch hissed. Sit? My guide wanted me to sit? We had just ridden five miles in the dark and raced 500 feet up a mountain to reach elk before they disappeared into the dark timber for the day. And with a lusty bull almost within reach, this guy wanted me to sit? Perhaps I misunderstood. I stood there looking puzzled. Sit! He said again, and I thought to myself, this is what I get for booking a hunt with an Iowa hog farmer. As a resident of Idaho, I can hunt elk practically in my backyard. One year I shot a prime six-point bull two miles from my patio, walked home for lunch, then drove the pickup out to load him. I don't need to book guided hunts. But in 1995, a local friend, John Law, bought an outfitting business and invited me to join him and his young partner, Darwin, on a mid-October hunt. Their concession, the vast and rugged Seven Devils Wilderness Area near Riggins, was reason enough to accept. 
The scenery alone would be worth my time. Snow-capped granite peaks, dark-timbered mountain shoulders, deep canyons echoing the laughter of free-running rivers, cottonwoods and tamarack trees glowing golden. It seems an extravagant bonus that Seven Devils also shelters a good population of mature bull elk, plus mule deer, mountain goats, cougars, and black bears. In fact, bears are so common that John suggested I buy a bear tag and make it a combination hunt. We were as likely to spot bears as wapiti. A Rocky Mountain elk-bear combination hunt is a natural in October because elk have usually completed their noisy mating festivities by that time. They're difficult to locate. You can't depend on them to blow their cover with a whistle, nor are you likely to get tracking snow. You must hunt with your eyes, glassing open slopes and meadows for grazing bands at dawn and dusk. While so engaged, you often discover black bears stuffing themselves to prepare for their long winter's nap. They seem almost suicidal, foraging at all hours in an effort to pile on fat. The chances for taking at least one of those species were high. The odds for getting both were good. Darwin met me in Riggins in mid-afternoon, October 15th. It was hot enough to be comfortable in a t-shirt. Throw your gear in the back of the truck and we're ready to go, he said. Need anything to eat or drink? We got about a two-hour ride to camp and the trailhead is about a half-hour drive. Well, I grabbed a soda, settled into the last padded seat I'd feel for several days, and pried into Darwin's history, which is how I found out about his Midwestern hog farming background. Turns out this lanky 33-year-old father of four grew up on a farm within 130 miles of my own boyhood home in South Dakota. Our respective high school teams played some of the same opponents, small world. But what could an Iowa farm boy know about elk? Well, as it turned out, plenty. Despite his early training, Darwin never fell in love with pork production. His real passion was hunting, and after high school he pursued it aggressively, hunting Canada, Colorado, and Idaho, as well as his native Iowa, taking elk, black bear, mule deer, and whitetails. In 1992, he moved his family to the Gem State and began guiding for an established outfitter. There, he met John Law, a native of upstate New York, who had also fled his home state for high adventure in the mountains. When the chance came to buy an outfit of their own, the pair jumped at it, and Heaven's Gate Outfitters was born. Running a successful outfitting business is tough, but starting one is tougher. It's like being the new kid on the block. No one knows your name, no one knows what you can do. In order to attract clients, you have to prepare yourself. You have to prove yourself. But in order to prove yourself, you must have clients. That's undoubtedly why I got invited on the hunt. I was a guinea pig of sorts, but a willing one. At the trailhead, Darwin quickly and efficiently sorted horses and baggage, tied things neatly into canvas-wrapped bales, and lashed everything securely to the pack animals. Within minutes, we were riding into wild country, stopping at overlooks to scan distant meadows and grassy ridges for foraging game. There's been a big herd feeding up there and off and on all week, Darwin said. I got a client on, on him one day, but he couldn't shoot. Too far, I asked. No, too close, I think. He froze up, just locked up, and I couldn't function. Eh, bad case of buck fever, I guess. Stuff happens. 
We swung back into the saddles and turned our into a beautiful stand of big timber, the kind of ancient trees you rarely see anymore in the West. I imagine this is what much of the primeval pine forest looked like. Huge trunks soaring 50 feet in the air before spreading their first branches. The understory, a mix of open grass and deciduous brush. Before Smoky Bear, natural fires probably kept the brush in check, creating an expansive grassland beneath the giant trees. In a few patches, this open grass remained and we looked tiny beneath the huge pines. Just a few more miles, Darwin informed me as we plodded along a stream in the shadows of a deep canyon. Camp is on a slope above the creek so we can hear elk bugle at night. We get water from that little feeder stream spilling off the mountain. Darkness fell before we made camp, but the homey scent of wood smoke lured us to two tents glowing warm yellow by gas lantern light. Colleen Law, John's wife, had coffee hot and supper steaming on the big pine slab table in the cook tent. Go in and relax. I'll take care of the horses, Darwin said. <laughs> what a life. Minutes later, John rode in with Keith Banks. Keith was a Pennsylvania hunter, also looking for bear and elk. The two of them had spent the day scouting. We would be the only two hunters in camp that week, and neither of us was destined to go home unhappy. I saw a herd at the head of Blitz Creek, John reported. It was a big bunch with at least two good bulls. I think we better get after them first thing in the morning. Anything on the west side? Darwin asked. Nothing. Never saw a thing up there all day. Oh, that bear was out again. Oh, the one uh, in that little basin? Yep. And we're going to have to ride over there one of these days and see about him. That's the kind of talk a hunter can listen to all night. It was so dark when we rode out the next morning, the only way I knew I was sitting properly on my horse was that the correct sounds seemed to come from the correct ends. Fortunately, the trail was clear and the horse apparently saw like a cat. It never missed a step, and by the dawn's early light, the four of us were safely across a creek and moving steadily up a slope so steep it made me happy to be on a horse. Our plan was to reach the upper grazing meadow in time to catch elk still in it, and we almost did. As we rode ever higher, I was disheartened to discover two hunters standing on top of our ridge, silhouetted against the light morning sky. Backpack hunters, I thought. Who else could get up here at this hour? There goes our chance. Then John reined his horse and lifted his binocular. Elk, he calmly said, and turned his horses into the trees. I couldn't imagine what elk were doing on an open ridge with two hunters until I put on my glasses and I saw that my hunters were two cow elk standing with their rumps toward us. Soon they turned broadside and when I lifted my own binocular to study them, a tall, wide rack of antler stepped up behind them. There's a big bull, I said. There's two, Darwin replied. Sure enough, a second bull had popped into view farther down the ridge, and with him, several more cows. I'll take care of the horses, John said as he began gathering range. You guys go. Keith and I pulled rifles from scabbards and followed Darwin as he ducked behind a screen of pines and began hurrying toward the herd. Can you hit from here? He asked when we ran out of cover. Yeah, it looked like a long shot, and it would, it would have to be a quick one. The herd was feeding over the top, but a third of the distance was straight up, and that wouldn't count against us ballistically. Where trajectory was concerned, it would be a 300-yard shot if we were judging the distance properly. Well, I could if I had to, I said, but how comfortable is Keith with it? 
before Keith could even answer, the last bull fed out of sight, leaving nothing but cows in view. Come on, we've got to cut him off, Darwin said, and he began trotting. At this point, my new ex-hog farmer friend nearly killed me. His idea was to circle the ridge, climb its backside out of view of our quarry, and pop up shooting. I was in pretty fair shape and determined to keep up, but Keith was packing a few extra office pounds and he knew he could never make it. He opted to move slowly out to a finger of timber with John. We would attempt to push the herd toward them. Shortly into the climb, I wished I'd stayed with Keith. Like some kind of machine, Darwin marched steadily up that precipitous slope, way out of character for an Iowa flatlander. I plugged along, sucking 5,000-foot air and wishing for more. At one point, I simply had to stop for half a minute. We've got to get up there before they move into bedding timber, Darwin said. We hit the ridge top just after the herd had crossed it. Dust was still settling into their tracks. And that's when we heard the first bugle. The primordial scream was so loud that I fully expected to peer over the ridge and into the mouth of the bull. I had the rifle loaded and at port arms, the loophole scope turned down to 3x. But on the other side, there were only large old growth pines and scattered brush. Where could that bugle have come from? Then it peeled again, just to our left, behind a little roll of hill. That's when Darwin told me to sit down. Then he held up a cow call. I understood the method to his madness. Pig farmer or no pig farmer, this guy knew that any elk lusty enough to be bugling in mid-October would be possessive enough to drop back to round up a lagging cow. All we had to do was imitate one. So I plunked down against one of those huge pines and Darwin sat beside me and said, Ew! Mr. Majestic roared right back. Darwin called again a seductive, come-hither plea for masculine guidance. Again, the bull squealed and grunted, and the increase in volume suggested he was moving closer. I raised the rifle and rested my elbows inside my knees. This would be close. Antler tips bobbed over the yellow brush. Three points. Five. Six. A dark head, a shaggy neck, yellow sides. He came at a steady swagger, laid back his head and bugled again. He was all of 40 yards away when I placed the crosshairs on his shoulder and fired. He stood swaying. I placed another slug into his shoulder hump and put him down instantly. After my shots, we saw glimpses of cows threading through the underbrush, moving deeper into the basin. The other bull, the really big one, as it turned out, even bugled. Unfortunately, it did not move past Keith. While Darwin went back to fetch the horses and pack mule, John and Keith hiked around the head of the basin to see if they could rediscover the herd. Within minutes, they fired a shot. A half hour later, they shot again. I imagine they'd taken the other bull, but I was wrong. Keith had bagged his bear. Not the first one he shot at, but the second. Unlikely as it sounds, within a half mile of where I shot my bull elk, and less than an hour later, John and Keith had spotted two black bears, and that wasn't the end of the show. While dressing Keith's trophy, they saw a third bear. Come on, John said when he walked back to tell me the news. I think we can find one of those bears for you yet. It was shaping up to be one heck of a hunt. Epilogue 
John was as good as his word. Several hours later, he did indeed spot a bear for me, but it wasn't either of the two he'd seen earlier. I passed up my chance, however, preferring to hold out for a real big one. With an elk already in the bag, I had more than enough meat for winter. To hunt this country, Darwin emphasizes conditioning as the number one requirement for a successful hunt. A hunter who can climb, run, move quickly, and hunt hard all day is most likely to get his game. I was lucky to get my chance on that first ridge that first morning. Shooting skill is the next most critical talent. Hunters who can get on target quickly and shoot accurately to 300, 350, or 400 yards get opportunities that others miss. For more information, contact Heaven Gate Outfitters, P.O. Box 1403, Riggins, Idaho 83549, and ask them if anyone ever got that big six-point bull. <laughs> well, I doubt that that address is still valid, well, it but... it is good. It is? Right here. Just you looked, looked it, it up. Well, I'll be. Uh, How do you like that, folks? You can still book with this outfitter. I don't know if it's the same. Heaven's Gate Outfitters. It might have changed hands. There might be different owners, but yeah, that's the country. This is cool. <laughs> this is the nice thing about websites. Back in the day when I wrote this, if you wanted to find anything out, you'd have to write him. Cool. So that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a typical, well, it was kind of a typical elk hunt back in those days. In the late 80s through the 90s, elk were just, oh, I mean, big bull elk in Idaho. Wow. We had in some units the highest levels of branch antler bull harvest in the country. But in 1995, they reintroduced wolves. And that is Changed a con yeah, contentious issue. Now, I'm not one of these people who thinks the only good wolf is a dead wolf. But you would be foolish to not understand that there are some severe repercussions to having a, a predator like a pack of wolves an acme predator that feeds on deer and elk and moose and other big game, that they don't have an impact on numbers. Now, in some cases, they can actually benefit the herd by reducing it if it's overpopulated and the habitat can't support it. But boy, what happened was what a lot of us feared and predicted was that the wolves would just flourish and the elk, have not having encountered wolves for how many generations, would have no idea what to do about it. So the populations absolutely plummeted. In one unit that I used to hunt, the estimated population in, of elk in that unit was 18,000 to maybe as 20,000. And within, I think it was five or six years, that population was down to 2,000. Wow. What yeah. is it now? I don't know. It's coming back a little bit. And in many units, we're actually seeing the harvest levels for hunters back to what they were prior to the wolf introduction. But elk have changed their habits. They've gone into deeper country. They don't bugle as much. They're a little bit harder to find, but they really have figured out how to evade those wolves and, and survive. So the population is coming back. The harvest is back up. And I think we're probably seeing some bigger bulls. And that may be because of the reduced pressure on the browsing. I don't know for sure. I haven't done any research. but I want to go elk hunting. You want to go elk hunting. You want to go elk hunting every year. Well, <laughs> guess what? It's coming up real quick. So we're I going to go. I only have a cow tag. Cows well, we, eat pretty good. I know. We need meat. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to go after them. Hey, if you've ever wanted to make an elk hunt, Idaho is a great state in which to do it. But boy, be in shape because 
I don't know, I was in my early 30s when this all came down and I was sucking air on that climb because it's steep, steep country. But check out that Heaven's Gate Outfitters on the web. Uh, Look into their website and see if uh, they're offering some fun hunts. I'm sure they are. It's a beautiful part of the country. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. The Seven Devils Mountain Range actually perches above Hell's Canyon, which I've hunted before and we covered on this uh, podcast, a hunt for mule deer in Hell's Canyon. So if you really want to see some dramatic country and have a wild west Rocky Mountain hunting adventure, this is one I can heartily recommend. So I'm inviting you once again to join us on these podcasts once a week. Also, check out our YouTube channel. And ronspomeroutdoors.com is our website where we have a lot of in-depth articles about hunting and hunting tactics and wildlife and wildlife behavior and optics and rifles and guns and ballistics and just anything and everything that appeals to outdoorsmen and women. So check us out there. Look for us on Facebook and Instagram and most of the social media sites these days. And visit us. uh, Check us out. Send us some questions. Join our Patreon community. We're on Patreon. Get that app and join RonSpomerOutdoors.com and you'll get some bonus materials. We have a little extra newsletter going out for the Patreon members. And we even do some live broadcasts and Share some notes with folks from time to time. So check it all out. Glad to have you aboard and let us know how we're doing. In the meantime, when you get out there, remember to hunt honest and shoot straight. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.